1999, Christina Aguilera sang, I wish I had somebody, wish I was somebody's baby. Somebody, somebody, ay, 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 ay. Let me sing it for you. Somebody, somebody, ay, 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 ay. Somebody, somebody, ay, <laughs> Now, I was 13 and I'm sure I was thinking of the most random guy I had a crush on at Crowley Middle School. But... 21 years later, and that record is equal parts nostalgic and still my reality. I am a fatherless daughter. It's taken me a decade to really get comfortable saying that out loud and telling the world, but it feels insanely good to be honest with myself and then to whomever I may be dating. Loving a fatherless daughter is sometimes harder than actually being one. We unintentionally and inadvertently make men pay for hearts they didn't break with debilitating trust issues and wild, wild expectations to fill a void only a father can. But let's start from the beginning. I became a fatherless daughter in 1991. I was six. My parents got divorced from what I assume was infidelity. My little brother was born from it, and unbeknownst to me at the time, life as I knew it would never be the same. Now, if I'm honest, I have no memories of my father being in the household the first six years of my life. Aside from photos from my first birthday and a few pictures here and there, growing up being raised in a single-parent household has always been my reality. I didn't know many kids like me. The majority of my friends, both black and white, were all raised in two-parent homes with siblings. I was jealous and even more so lonely. In hindsight, I know I am aware that my creativity and courage and ambition and loving hard as hell came from being an only child. In addition to being a fatherless daughter, I was a latchkey kid. My mother worked two jobs for almost a decade, caring for me and putting food on the table of our very first home. I began walking home from school at 11 or 12, and I'd find solace in reading, writing, and decorating all four walls of my room with photos of my favorite celebrities. This is probably where my obsession with the celebrity culture and lifestyle came from, which makes a lot of sense thinking about what I do now for a living. But coming home to an empty house every day was a breeding ground for everything, but mostly my interest in boys. The term boy crazy? Oh, that was me. Times 10. Any attention from the opposite sex was special, and I wanted all of it. I still remember my first crush, Oliver Deal. From first to fifth grade, I was in love with him, despite him giving Keisha Fields all the attention I so desperately wanted. I was jealous and, of course, heartbroken. He nicknamed me the president of the Itty Bitty Titty Committee, to which I fired back. That's why you look like a roly-poly. Now, for context, Oliver was a pudgy little fella, but cute nonetheless. It was in elementary that I first started to seek attention from boys, and it only escalated from there. When I got to middle and high school, the boys were progressively cuter, and I hung on to their every word. I was in seventh grade, when Sajade Miller told me I'd be cute if I got rid of my glasses and started wearing contacts. Oh yeah? Done. I asked my mother if I could trade in my bifocals, 
no, really actual bifocals, that I'd been wearing since elementary and she immediately shut down my request. Her logic? I was too young. So I spent the rest of middle school annoyed with my appearance and so Jade spent the rest ignoring me. In 2000, I started high school and my boy craziness went into overdrive. There were upperclassmen just a few feet away from me at every given turn. And while I still had my glasses, I'd finally started wearing contacts the second semester of ninth grade. Turns out, Sajade was right. I suddenly became the cute girl in school and I'd do practically anything to keep that attention on me. Brandon Clemens, one of the most popular guys in school, told me I should play volleyball because my booty would look good in the shorts. So I joined the team. Throughout my time in school, I can remember several instances where I sought the approval from boys and subsequently altered my appearance for them. So much so that when my friend Amber came back from summer break, about two cup sizes bigger, and I saw all the attention she was getting, I started taking herbal pills that she ordered off the internet to make my boobs grow, not realizing it was actually a little thing called puberty and had nothing to do with the random pills she made me think was the reason behind her sudden growth. I didn't realize how dangerous that was or even where it came from until much later in life. Can y'all imagine taking pills off the internet? And back then, the internet was very dangerous, you know? Just thank God for keeping me. I remember the first time a boy told me I was beautiful. I was on campus at Grambling, and though I don't remember who he was, I do remember the feeling. I was 18 years old and had never heard I was beautiful from the opposite sex. It's important to note that every man in my life growing up that I loved left me, either naturally or by force. My father left in 1991. My papa died in 1999 of prostate cancer. My pastor was murdered in 2003. And my godfather, who was brought in to replace him at our home church, moved back to California after a power struggle within the congregation, not even a year later. I wouldn't know it then, but this set in motion a decades-long struggle with the opposite sex. I am the sum total of every relationship and sexuationship, uh-huh, sexuationship, you, you heard that right, that I've been in. Every guy has played a significant role in the way I feel about myself and how I treated others. My relationship or lack thereof with my father was the genesis of it. I grew up feeling unloved and unwanted and blaming my mother for my father's empty promises. Those scenes in the movies where the kid is waiting by the door or looking out the window waiting for their father's car to pull up just for it not to happen, that was a huge part of my life. Years later, my father would show up a few times a year but with his stepchildren in tow. I spent more time with my step-siblings than I ever did with him. So while he was there physically, our relationship wasn't. There were even years where I'd go a whole year without seeing my father, but he'd show up at my grandparents' house on Christmas Day with a trash bag full of presents. This would go on to be the case all throughout high school. Fast forward to life after college and things started looking up. We finally had our heart to heart and because I was over 21, i.e. grown as hell in my mind, I was able to be candid and super honest about my feelings, which to his credit, he listened. 
We were finally in an okay place. We had date nights every few months for a couple years. He'd show up more, he got remarried, I met his wonderful new wife, and I discovered that I was having new siblings, twin siblings. We are 20 years apart, by the way, which is still so crazy to me. My other siblings, my father has seven kids in total, were starting to come around more. I was happy, but not always. We wouldn't talk much after that, maybe a couple times a year on birthdays and holidays. But our relationship was so on and off that I started to think that our dynamic was just normal. Then in 2016, it stopped completely. Blame it on life moving fast or whatever, but I hadn't seen my father since my 30th birthday. I will be 34 in June and I still have not seen my father since my 30th birthday. For full disclosure, I moved to the East Coast in 2017 and I have lived here for the last three years. But our conversations are sporadic, only once or twice a year on birthdays or calling to tell me someone in the family died. The strained relationship with my father showed up in ways I couldn't fathom in my romantic life. I was inconsistent and selfish. I demanded all the attention. And when I didn't get it, girl, I started screaming and throwing stuff. I don't know where I learned that from because that wasn't my reality growing up. I, I blame TV, honestly. But whomever I was in a relationship with, if they didn't make me happy at a moment's notice, I'd move on to whoever was next. I started entertaining situations I had never once thought I'd be in. Just to hear I was special and beautiful and then treated as such. I craved love from men so deeply that I held on too tight and much longer than I should have. And in some cases, evidence of that still bubbles to the top to this day. At almost 34, I am the poster child for self-awareness. I say it often, but I absolutely know where jealousy and envy and attention sinking and not feeling deserving of love comes from. It all stems from my daddy issues. And while I no longer complain about having them, I'm aware of where the feelings of neglect and mistrust usually comes from. You know, you never really outgrow your daddy issues when so much time has passed. Do I love my father? Yes, absolutely. If I got a call that he was ill, I'd be on the next flight out. But while they say time heals all wounds, it also hardens them. So much so that you start to get used to the emptiness. And while it'd be nice to have, it's no longer a priority in my life. That's harsh. I know, it sounds horrible. But experiencing so much loss from the men in my life that I thought would be around forever shifted my personal dynamic and honestly my family's. When my papa died in 1999, I'd only have about four more years with my family before things would become distant. I was the only cousin to go off to college and to my knowledge, I'm the only one on my father's side of the family with a degree. Time would go on to prove that these relationships that I cherish so much would eventually leave me feeling hollow. I began to prioritize the people in my life and for some, while family was everything to them, I couldn't fully say the same. Once I became old enough to make decisions in my life about who and what I wanted, most of my family wasn't high on the list. Thinking back, the decision to not cultivate and nurture these relationships were likely because my relationship with my father wasn't nurtured and cultivated. I was tired of chasing a relationship with the person that brought me into this world. And that same exhaustion spilled over to other family members. I began to place people in categories Sure, we were family, 
but their access to me had changed. I did this with friends as well. Working in and around the people that I do, I notice people's behavior start to change. That saying that money doesn't change you, it changes the people around you, is absolutely correct. I had no money, but my status was different. I became the go-to person if someone wanted their music played on the radio, or if they wanted Tom Joyner to promote their business on air, or give their family member a shout-out on a birthday. And working in television now only amplifies that. Everybody had a show idea and wanted to pitch it to me, despite me, one, not hearing from them in forever, and two, me not working in programming. I saw a quote once that said, stop calling people and watch you never hear from them again. And I identified with it immediately. My ability to cut people off and limit their access to me was scary easy. I didn't care, although I absolutely did. And instead of live with those feelings and give myself permission to feel angry or sad or betrayed was exactly how I treated my romantic and platonic relationships. And as you can now probably guess, all of those feelings and those actions stem from not having my father in my life consistently. I've grown tired of having to always work for love when in my mind it was supposed to come natural and easy. I wanted love with no conditions or excuses. A love so deep he crossed the ocean for me. And then bring me the moon. And the first he I wanted it from was my father. And since I didn't get it there, that desire to be loved so intimately manifested itself in relationships with friends, sorority sisters, guys, practically everyone in my life. Look, patterns are a bitch. They expose, and if you're really ready, they demand you to face them head on. I'm still healing from wounds that I thought was patched up and healed long time ago. These wounds showing up now in the form of everything is crazy. It's been fun, though, to see my growth. You know what? I'm proud of me, and I can say that honestly. I'm a lot more forgiving, and I no longer hold people hostage mentally or emotionally. I have freed up so much space in my heart and while I'll always wonder what it would be like to have a close, unconditional bond with my father, I'm also okay if it's not in our cards. As optimistic as I am about a ton of things, I'm also a realist. And as painful as my experience has been in this area of my life, I'm grateful for it. I now manage my expectations with every single relationship, romantic, platonic, or familial. I try not to take things super personal, but if and when I do, I am honest about what feelings I may have towards that person or that situation. Remember when Solange said she drank it away, sexed it away, slept it away, and thought a new dress would make it better? There is a reason we are born two days apart. My relationship with my father is not ideal, but for many of us, my story is not at all unique. But as long as I have breath in my body, I'll always respect him. Us being strained and not having a real relationship doesn't take away from the wonderful job he's done being present and active every day with my 13-year-old brother and sister. And while my feelings of abandonment are still very valid and I make no excuses for them, my sister and brother having what I didn't makes me happy that they'll never have to grow up feeling neglected from the person that brought them into this world. Now, I want to be clear. My feelings toward my father are not at all to be disrespectful. It's just for me to be honest. A lot of who I am, a lot of the reasons that I have 
had such great and not so great relationships with men platonically and romantically have been because of that desire to be loved and to be cared for. They say oftentimes history repeats itself and gives you an opportunity to do things differently the second time or in my father's case, the sixth and seventh time around. Here's to us fatherless daughters giving ourselves permission to heal fully without masking or numbing the pain. And here's to us for forgiving, not for them, but for the sake of our emotional well-being. Healthy love begets healthy love.